So, um, if you have your Bibles again, John chapter 3. This morning I've titled my sermon, Religion or Relationship, Priority of Christianity. Religion is a works-based action that produces ongoing death of humanity as we continue in the life of natural birth. And faith in Christ is a life-transforming action which happens by the miraculous work of God by rebirthing a person with a regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's my main thesis this morning. I'm going to unpack that as we walk through the scriptures. Let me, let me condense it just a little bit. Natural birth is, is what we have when we are born of our mothers. We are born in the flesh. That is our natural birth. And if we stay only in that birth, if we are not reborn, born again, Christian biblical language, if we are not that, then we will continue, if we just remain in the natural flesh, we will continue in death for eternity. It's biblical, it's scriptural, and religion will always lead us in that direction. Because religion is works-based. It's about what I can do. Yes, Christianity, is we define it as a world religion, but in all re reality, it's not just a religion. As a matter of fact, it is a relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Would you agree with that? That Christianity is a relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's not works-based, is it? You cannot work your way to heaven. Scripture is very clear about that. You cannot work. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't make it based upon that. But religion says, I can do this, and eventually God will accept me. The Bible says that we must be reborn, born again, rebirth. Throughout Scripture and throughout all of um, Christianity and, and, and in modern times, we often take verses and we, we kind of pull them out of context as we begin to quote them. One of those verses, I believe, is John 3.16. We, we pull it out of context because in context, this is actually a verse dealing with a man named Nicodemus. And it's actually dealing with the religious life of Nicodemus and what needs to, to happen. And so John 3.16 is actually a verse that says this, that, that religion is not working, religion will not work. What you know of religion is not working, but Christ is the fulfillment of everything that you are to be born in him. And so, yes, God loves us so much he gave his son. But he gave his son because we can't work our way to heaven. But we do that with all kinds of verses. We take them out of context. Philippians 4.13. For I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what the context of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is? It's actually persecution and severe trial. And Paul is writing the church of Philippi who is under that, and he's saying this, that you can, you can preserve, that you can make it through that because in Christ all things are possible. You will make it through this trial because Christ is in you. But we quote it, well, I'm having a bad day. I can, I can finish this bad day because Christ is with me. That's absolutely true. Christ is with you. 
But that's the gospel. That's not Philippians 4.13. And when we begin to quote things out of context, people begin to take those out of context. And the reality is this. We have brothers and sisters living all over the world who are under constant persecution who Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 applies to. Eventually it will be here. So religion is much more than what we want to define it as. Christianity across the world and across America is being redefined. And this morning I want to bring it into context of what Scripture says. So let's, let's let our eyes uh, uh, fall on, on the passage, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through it and, and then give us some application. So we're going to go as fast as possible. In verses 1 and 2, we, what we find here is that uh, Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees, a religious leader, one who understood the law and the Old Testament really well, comes to Jesus. But he doesn't come to Jesus in the, in, the, in the broad of daylight, in the norm of a schedule. He shows up to see Jesus at night. He shows up to, to, at, in the, in the, with the advantage of the night. He shows up kind of secretively. He doesn't want to be discovered. He doesn't want to see what's going on because the Pharisees were not people who really liked what Jesus was doing. But Nicodemus shows up and he says, I cannot deny, we cannot deny that God is doing something with you. There are all these miraculous things happening and and it has to be from God. And we know that. The Pharisees know that. We don't want to proclaim that, but we know that. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and and begins to, to talk to Jesus. I believe in the opening up of John chapter 3, what we find is Nicodemus is, is different than the Pharisees, than the rest of his brothers in, in the Pharisaical line. God is working on Nicodemus' life. The message and ministry of Jesus is beginning to open up his eyes to things. And so he, he begins to talk to Jesus. And in verse 3 and 4, Jesus kind of replies to him, or doesn't kind of, but Jesus does reply to him. And, and Jesus says this. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born? And then Nicodemus responds, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can we re-enter our mother's womb a second time and be born again? So Nicodemus comes to him and he makes these proclamations to to Jesus. And then Jesus jumps right into the, the, the issue, jumps right into where uh, Nicodemus' heart's at. And he says this, hey, you're not going to see the kingdom of God, and no one sees the kingdom of God unless God opens their eyes. So I'll make an argument that God is already opening Nicodemus' eyes, that he has seen kingdom kind of stuff, because he's realizing some things. Let me fast forward in, in, in Nicodemus' life. In three years from here, Nicodemus actually is with Jesus and, and is helping out in Jesus' burial. If you, you fast forward and go to the Gospel of John and other places, you find Nicodemus serving Jesus. The reason that Nicodemus got to that point is because I believe Nicodemus was radically changed by the gospel. And I believe this conversation with Jesus began that process. And Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're, you're born again. 
Nicodemus asks a legitimate question here. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he re-enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? That's a legitimate question, is it not? If you hear somebody say, hey, you need to be born again, and it's new language, that's, that's kind of a, a, second, that's a good question, right? He's saying, I'm old, and how am I to go in my mother's womb again? We would access, I used this illustration this morning. None of us can go back into our mother's wombs, right? At 1.16, January 1.16 p.m., January 25th of 2013, Jet was one minute old, our son. Jet couldn't go back into Katie's womb, could he? Impossible. So Jesus is you language. He said, wait a minute, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is asking, how in the world is that possible? Jesus doesn't leave him hanging there. Because starting in verse 5, he begins to, to dive deeper into this. He's diving deeper into this because he's wanting to reveal what the Old Testament is unpacking, what the Old Testament is birthing, what the Old Testament is actually saying. And Jesus says this, he says this, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus here, Jesus is beginning to answer the question. He's diving in. He's saying this. Hey, I want you to understand something, Nicodemus. There's, there's actually two births. The birth, first birth is of the flesh. It's what Paul begins to unpack in the book of Romans. Is, it's the flesh. is, is the sinful part of us. It's the physicalness of us. How many of us are alive in this building? Everybody better raise their hand, because if not, somebody call 911. You're in the flesh, right? Anybody ghost in here? Anybody? No? We're in the flesh, right? Flesh, natural, who we are. Jesus said, we're all born that way. But there's a second birth that happens. And the second birth is, is what comes from the Spirit of God. The second birth is from the Spirit of God. And he uses this illustration. He says this. It's, it's as the wind blows and, and it works in you and it begins to transform you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen the wind? Anybody ever seen the wind? But that's not the wind, though, is it? You see the effects of the wind, right? You see the effects of what it does. You see it moving a flag. You see it moving trees. All kinds of things, blowing leaves during the fall. If it's strong enough, you begin to see it tear down buildings, right? But you never see the wind. You don't even know where the wind comes from, do you? You may feel it from the south, but eventually it may have made its way from somewhere different. You don't even know where it's going, do you? But that's what Jesus is saying here. The Spirit of God is like the wind. It blows in. And where it comes from, it's coming from God, and it radically transforms you. It transforms you and I. The wind blows in, and it transforms us. We don't see the Spirit coming in, but we feel and see the effects of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. The natural birth you can physically see, but this spiritual birth you don't see, but it is of greater effect than even the natural birth. 
And Nicodemus then in verse 9 says this. Um, how is this possible, Jesus? How can these things happen? That's not the right question to ask Jesus at this moment. Because look what Jesus does. Jesus then says, are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? And Jesus, said, Jesus replied and said this, truly I tell you, when you speak what we, or truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven except the, the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That last part is messianic language. Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Messiah. If anybody, says, anybody ever comes to you and says, you know, Jesus never declared to be the Messiah, you can take him right here because he absolutely declares to be the Messiah right here. The Son of Man language is messianic divine language. But Jesus begins to correct Nicodemus here. Nicodemus says, hey, um, how are these things possible? And Jesus says this. Look at this. He corrects him in a kind but real way. He says, hey, I thought you were a teacher of the law. I thought you understood the Old Testament. I thought you know the Bible. But you don't understand it at all. You don't even understand the earthly things. If, I, if you don't understand the earthly things and the testimony of the word about me, you don't see that and understand that. How in the world will you understand heavenly things? Nicodemus, you're, you're missing it here. I'm going to use an illustration here, a silly illustration, but one I think that works. We're all experts at something, right? We really are. This morning I asked over at Access, how many of you are an expert at eating? And about two-thirds of the congregation raised their hands. So I'm going to ask the question, how many of us are experts at eating? Yeah, we are, aren't we? How many of us would consider ourselves an expert cook? Anybody? All right, several. I'm going to use an a silly illustration because Jet loves tacos. If you know anything about my son, he loves tacos and nachos and cheese dip. That and pizza. If he eats that, he's good to go. But I used this illustration this morning. I, I said, how many of you know who Alton Brown is? Anybody who knew who Alton Brown is? If you don't, he, he is a food expert. He talks about the science behind food and, and how to make it and why these things work together. He's really, it's a really cool show, a really cool guy. And he begins to talk about the, the background of the food. And let's say Alton Brown comes in and, and, and you're, you're a cook and you're famous for making tacos. You make the best taco this side of the Atlantic. I mean, you're, you're a mean taco maker. And Alton Brown comes in and he begins to say, hey, uh, tell me about your taco making um, process. Where do you get your tortillas from? How do you make your tortillas? Um, I go down to the Walmart and I, buy, I go down to the um, aisle that says bread or uh, tacos, and I get the taco burrito bread or taco shit. Who makes tacos? Do you do that? That's what most of us do. Then he says, "Okay, um, well then, how do you season your 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 meat? Whether it's chicken or or beef or shrimp or fish or whatever, how do you season it?" Um, I go back down to to the Walmart or Food City, and I get the um, the taco seasoning stuff, and I'm getting spray it on there. Okay, then, then, and then what about your lettuce and cheese and all those? Stuff? 
uh, I go back to Walmart and I buy those things. Alton Brown begins to look at you. You're, you're not a taco expert at all. You can put together something, but a real taco expert understands how to make the tortilla from scratch. How, knows how to make the, the, the spices from scratch. That knows how to, to actually make sour cream. That actually grows their lettuce and, and knows how to do those things. That's what Jesus, a silly illustration, right? But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you tell me you're an you're a expert in the law, but you can only give me the ingredients you go buy from somewhere. That's not right. Our testimony speaks of, of who God is. My testimony speaks of, of what God is doing and what heavenly things are. And he corrects him. And then we get to verse 14, 15, and 16, and Jesus continues this prophetic language. He says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his own one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is making a prophetic statement here, a messianic statement. In verse 14, he, he is referencing an act that happened in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, what we find is, is Moses um, dealing with the people again. After the thousandth time they had disobeyed and grumbled against God, God said, I'm done. I'm tired of this. I'm done. I'm going to send serpents in. How many of you like snakes? Eh, I, I hate snakes. There's no good snake, not even a dead snake. So, so God sends in these serpents, and, and they're poisonous, and they begin to bite people. People begin to get sick, and they begin to die. They begin to say, uh-oh, um, we've done it again. God, please forgive us. Moses, do something to help us out. And so God tells Moses, I want, you to put up, I want you to make a serpent. I want you to put it up on a, on a staff. I want you to hold it up. And everybody that looks in that will be healed. They'll have faith that, that I'm the one that done this. So Moses does that, and the people begin to, to be lifted up, and they begin to be healed. And Jesus is saying that, that, prom, that passage of Scripture was a messianic passage speaking of what was to come, and I'm the one that's coming to do that. And just as the serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up on a cross. When you look to him, you'll be saved. When we get to John 3, 16, the word world here is the cosmos in the Greek. Jesus says this, God loved the cosmos, everything, so much that when Adam, the first Adam, messed it up, God had a plan even before that to redeem it. And God is working to redeem all of creation. You see, out of context, we, we, we miss that. God is, yes, saving humanity. Did you know this? That, that the work of the cross began the, the recreation, redemption of creation? Jesus is beginning, that work began right there. Jesus is, is beginning to rework everything that Adam and Eve tore apart. And God loves the world and he loves it so much that he gave his son, son, his one and only son. And that everyone who believes in him would not perish, would not stay in their 
natural life, but would now have this spiritual life. They'd be saved. So as I, as I come to kind of apply this to us, what, what, what's going on here? One, Jesus in context is saying this. Just personal testimony of the flesh will never make it for you unless God's Spirit opens your eyes. And you realize that, that just human knowledge won't, won't make it. You need more than that. And so I've got three questions I want to answer as we close. What does the Bible, what does the biblical term born again mean? It simply means this. To be rebirthed, to be transformed, to be changed by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit as we come to believe and trust in Christ. Born again and rebirth is biblical language and we don't need to move away from it. We just need to define it. Everybody says you need to go away from churchy words. Well, I agree. If it's just a churchy word, then fine. But if it's a biblical word, word we stay with it. And born again is a biblical word. So we stay with it. We define it. Secondly, quickly, uh, is, is this. Can you religiously know the Bible and miss Jesus? Absolutely, yes. You can know the Bible and miss Jesus. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we see that. Old Testament, New Testament, we see that. Give you an example of that, illustration of that. Judas. Did Judas know? Did, did Judas walk with, with Jesus? Did Judas miss Jesus? He did. People walk with, can know about Jesus, can, can be in part of church, can be religiously with Jesus, but miss Jesus. And that's what, what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. Don't be just religious because you're going to miss me if you are. Know me. Know the word. Let it impact you. Because there's a difference between knowing the word and the word and then knowing the word. And here's the difference as we close. On April 7, April 18, 1994, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. On April 19, 1994, I was radically different than I was on the 18th. It was different because I was now a believer. But the sins that I struggled with on the 17th, I still struggled with on the 19th. The difference was is when I committed it, I knew something was wrong. Fast forward a few years later to May the 17th, 2008, I graduated from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary with my Master's of Divinity. I knew Jesus a lot better at that point than I did on, on, in April of 1994. And my life looked different as I went through the years. Fast forward to that to, to today, March the 1st, 2020. My life looks radically different than it did in 2008. What am I saying here? That a relationship with Jesus will make you look different. But if you look the same religiously as you did when you say you got saved, you've never been transformed, I would say you've never been transformed. Because Jesus will radically change you. How do you love your neighbor? 
you learn more and more how to love God. And I'm convinced, as a worship team comes up, this. We don't need a revival in a church. We need an awakening in a church. When the Billy Graham Association says that, and again, I'm going to lower the number a little bit. When the Billy Graham Association ministry says that over 75%, they actually use a higher number, but I'm going to use a lower because there's multiple data out there. But when they say 75% of those who are average weekly attendees in church are lost, we don't need a revival, we need an awakening. Because you can only revive something that was what? That is alive. But we need something to awaken us. So the question I've got is this. Do you know Christ this morning? Or are, you just, are we just religious? When I left Access this morning, one of our young ladies, that, that those of us who have been here for a while, Christina Caldenbach, was sharing what God has been doing in her life. And she's a great example of seeing God transform someone. Not, not just take, taking Jesus religiously, but taking Jesus relationally. And in that, she is making a difference in young women at Access Campus because of her testimony. That's an indicator that we are a follower of Jesus, that our lives are making a difference in somebody else's life for the good of the kingdom, maybe not us personally. So do you know Christ? Secondly, are you committed to Christ? And so, Father, I pray that this morning that you draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. God, I pray that we, we would impact people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you would work in our hearts and you'd work in our lives. And so, Father, I pray right now that um, you would reveal the truth of the gospel to us, that it is simple, that it is true. And you want us to be more than religious. You want us to be in relationship with you. And so, Father, may you, you impact lives. For it's in Christ's name.